Thank you so much, Jonathan. I see so many familiar faces. I want to say hello to everybody. And um, if it's okay, I just pray real quick. I, you probably prayed before I got on, but I want to pray real quick. The Lord brings to my remembrance everything that I need to share uh, with you guys over these next few minutes. So, Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to gather with so many men and women of God from across uh, so many different states and locations. And I just ask you, Father, that you be with us in this time where I'm going to share just what's on my heart about 10 days and what you've done thus far in my region, in my area. I, Lord, I pray that you, um, you inspire us to be exactly who you've called us to be in this season and in this time that we would see these prophetic times that you are raising up a global upper room of prayer, a prayer ministry, Father God. I thank you, Lord, uh, for all that you're doing in everyone's life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Jonathan just said, uh, I came into contact with him in 2016, where I would say I had what I like to call a Second Chronicles 16:9 moment um, with uh, with the Lord. In Second Chronicles 16:9, if you're not familiar with that passage of scripture, uh, the prophet Hananiah goes to King Asa, and he declares something, and he says to him, um, uh, "The eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the earth." looking for someone whose heart is towards him, that he may show himself strong through him. That's the RSV version. And um, I had one of those moments with God. That verse isn't about what we're seeing, what we're going through, but it, to me, shows us a window into the ways of God. Sometimes in scripture is just nestled a window into God's ways and what God does and how God operates. And that's one of those windows where it shows us that at every given moment, even right now, across America, the eyes of the Lord are looking for people who would say yes. Um, revival is God's decree in heaven for the earth. It's God's heart. It's God's desire. Um, but every yes in heaven needs an amen in the earth. I say that again. Every yes in heaven that God desires, yes, I want to send revival. It's going to need an amen in the earth. An amen in the earth means it, someone has to come into agreement with the decrees of God. And so uh, in prayer and in being obedient, this is how we do that. And I believe that it was my little obedience. I don't think it was great obedience. It was just simple obedience that has ushered in what we have going on in our city in any capacity. In 2015, a, a small group of pastors had started to, um, we had brought Luis Palau into the city and we had seen a great number of people come out, about 8,000 people come out to a festival with Luis Palau. And that kind of got the ball rolling for unity in our, in our area. In 2016, I walked into a church named Wellspring Church via an email that I had no idea how I got that email or how I got on that list of emails. And uh, it was just talking about, uh, they were gonna share about this thing called 10 days of prayer. And so I said, let me go to this meeting. I like meeting new people. I'm a social person. I love meeting pastors. I love talking to people, if you can't tell. Um, but, uh, I was just like, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to see what this is all about. When I got there, I'm going to be honest. It was weird. Uh, it was, it wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, it was a little bit weird. There was some weird things happening that I wasn't used to. Uh, but I put that to the side and I said, Lord, you brought me here for a purpose and for a reason. And, um, I love one of Wellspring now, nothing weird to me now. Now I, I, I've just gotten more spiritual, praise the Lord. And, um, and so Jonathan gets up and he begins to share this vision. And the first thing I heard the Holy Spirit say was, I want you to do this in your church. And the next thing he said to me, he said, I want you to have your leadership take vacation time to do this. And I said to myself, me arguing with the Holy Spirit, ain't nobody going to take vacation time to pray for 10 straight days. Like, that's just not God. And the way, the way Jonathan described it in that moment was 10 days of prayer. I'm a literal person. 
If you say 10 days, I mean day and night, 10 days. I thought everyone was just doing day and night, 10 days. And so I go back to my church that night and I pull two of my pastors aside and I said to them, hey, I pitched them the vision. And the first thing one of them said was, we have to have the leadership take vacation time to be able to engage in this 10 days. And at that point, I just knew it was definitely God. And uh, my heart was never to do this by myself. I wanted to do it uh, in conjunction with other leaders, in conjunction with other churches. But at that point, I was, I was not used to being a mobilizer or a, someone who would um, organize churches at any shape, way, or form. I had never done anything like that before. So, but I took it to a small group of pastors, and then I decided to have a meeting of pastors. And that first meeting, I want to say about 70-plus pastors showed up, and, and it was such a successful meeting that I asked Jonathan, I called him the next day, I said, would you come back in a couple of weeks? And he's like, yeah. And we did it again, and uh, 70 more pastors came. And it was just an amazing thing to see so many pastors get in line and at least come out to hear the vision of 10 days of prayer. When it came time for 10 days, um, we were super excited. We put up a tent in the parking lot of a baseball park uh, that we had gotten uh, access to. We had a little stage we had gotten access to. And uh, we just decided we were going to have we were going to have church. We we're going to have twenty four seven prayer. We had mobilized pastors into different prayer slots. We had mobilized um, uh, volunteers into different time zones. We were going to have uh, services at seven a.m., twelve p.m., and seven p.m. And we did that, and and instantly we just began. The first night we had about one hundred and eighty people under the tent, and by the third night we were in excess of five hundred people a night. And we just knew at that point God was doing something. And uh, we began to see by the third night, we had preaching every night at that time. And um, people were giving their lives to God. And, and we, I didn't expect that. All I knew, we had no agenda except to pray. And I got some of the same pushback that Jonathan talks about where people looked at the prayer list and it was repentance and mourning for 10 days. And, and some of the pastors said, well, we're bringing it out of the mourning phase. I'm like, never. This is what this is about. Like calling, I think churches and, and leaders have a propensity to move past repentance as a motion, but not a devotion to it. And so because we said, oh, we already repented, uh, we're, we're past that point. And I was, I was just committed to the vision of 10 days, which is 10 days of mourning and crying out to God from that place of mourning. By the third night, we began to see a radical outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we began to see people just give their lives to God. Uh, we began to see um, people respond to the gospel in ways that we had not seen. There was a guy driving by the highway. And at that point, somebody had given us a free billboard. And so we used that billboard for 10 days. He pulls off the highway, comes in and commits his life to Christ from New Jersey. And we started seeing stuff like that. And I, I remember calling Jonathan. And uh, at that point, I was thinking to myself, like, well, there must be a rule playbook for this. There has to be a playbook. You know, what's the next play, Jonathan? We're having this happen. You give me what's next. And um, and uh, he says, I don't know, Lewis. And I'm like, well, can I baptize these people? Like, is that okay? Can we do that? He's like, go for it, man. And so by the fourth night, I believe it was, we were baptizing people. By the end of that first 10 days, we baptized over 40 people, I believe it was, into the faith who had not made a commitment to Jesus. One of them being a witch who had committed her life to God. Uh, turned away from her witchcraft and given herself to um, to Christ, and to this day is still a member of a local church. And so it wasn't just fly by night, emotionally driven stuff, which many people thought it was because oh, you're baptizing people without classes. Now I said to one pastor, I said, well, the last time I checked, Philip didn't give the eunuch a a um 
a class on baptism. He just went and said, there's water. What is stopping me? And the answer was absolutely nothing. And so um, we started baptizing people and seeing just a major move of God uh, up until about day six. At day six, the weather got crazy because it was fall. Uh, the weather got crazy and the tent was unsafe. It was ripping. It was tearing apart because the weather was so wild. And uh, we moved into a local church called New Vision. I barely knew the pastor at the time. I just called him and I said, hey, would you mind if I move this whole mess into your church? Uh, that means you can't do anything but this for the next four days. And uh, he says, sure, why not? Now, earlier that year, I don't know if I've shared this with you, Jonathan, I probably have. Earlier that year, some girl came up to me and said, I have a prophetic word for you. And as a pastor, I get that all the time. And I try to avoid those as much as possible because everybody wants to give me a prophetic word. Don't judge me, please. Um, that's just who I am. And so I, I have about 3,000 prophecies that people have given me. And so I'm just like, I'm good. And somebody calls me and says, maybe you should talk to her. So it's about late January. And she said, I had this vision that, and, that you were walking arm in arm with dozens of pastors into New Vision parking lot. And Pastor Dexter walked out to receive you with open arms. And then after the, all the pastors went into the building, you, I saw your trucks. We, we, at that point, we were doing mobile church. We had trucks come in and drop off a bunch of equipment. And then I woke up. And I didn't realize it, but at 10 days, we fulfilled that vision where dozens of pastors who were walking with us through 10 days came in. Now, at the end of the first 10 days, some of the things that we saw that were absolute highlights were we saw a unity in the body of Christ. And I don't want to sit here and say that it was like every pastor was united. Maybe it was five people who found their tribe. Maybe it was 10 people who got together. Maybe it was other pastors who harnessed what we were doing and started a unity movement in their own context. But what was birthed in Bridgeport at that time was a lot of pastoral relationships and a lot of unity. Now, for me, a 10 days ended with a place of, of hunger for more of God. I really hungered for more and more of God. And I said, Lord, like there's gotta be more. It can't just be what we see right here. Where, where's Acts 2? Where's the healings, the signs, the wonders? Where is that? And I remember pushing into prayer and really diving into that. And so in, in 2017, uh, we started doing healing classes in our church in preparation for 10 days of prayer because I'm, I'm a madman. And so here I am in February, I'm already thinking about 10 days in September, October, and I've got to get ready now. And so not only do I need prayer teams and, or sound guys and ushers and all that kind of stuff, I need a healing team because I'm going to see healing this year at 10 days. And so we started these crazy healing classes. And let me tell you something, it was birthed off of the hunger of 10 days of prayer. It was definitely the 10 days of prayer hunger that pushed our church. It, our, our church's new year is not in January. It is, it is in September, October, during 10 days of prayer, which is what our church looks forward to. And so we did this uh, healing class, and we got 100 people trained in healing. And that year at 10 days, the second day, our third day, excuse me, of 10 days of prayer, we were having it indoors this time. And uh, we, we, we called out to, we were crying out to God. We were worshiping. We were seeking the Lord. And a guy walks in in a walker. And I said to one of my, my friends, I said, you know the rules. You can't see a sick person walk by. You would not pray for them. I want you to go pray for them. And, and my church at this point had already been seeing a ton of healing. We were seeing uh, open wounds heal. We were seeing broken bones heal overnight, uh, verified by x-rays. We were seeing all types of just wild healings. It was amazing. And so this young, this young man named Louis Arboleda walks up to this guy who is in this walker. 
and he begins the interview process as what happened to you. He's, I just had a back surgery. I have a lot of pain. I went with the back surgery. It was last Thursday. And so Lewis begins to pray for him. And uh, if you don't know, my church is in the inner city, which means that maybe we're just a little bit different. We're a little bit more abrupt. Uh, you might call that hood. Uh, we're just a little bit more street. And this guy, uh, Lewis, uh, he's from the street. He takes this guy and says to him, in the name of Jesus, you walk without pain and snatches away his walker. And uh, I wouldn't recommend that. I would not, by any stretch of the imagination, say just snatch people's walkers away. Uh, that's not what I would recommend, but he was filled with faith. And at this point, we were getting ready for baptisms. I'm in the video room, and he comes up to me. He's crying. He's just crying. I'm like, what happened? He's like, he got healed. And so we take this guy to the front, and we start praying uh, for everybody who was sick. He gives a testimony. And, man, we began to see that night an outbreak of healings. And of course, the outbreak of healings leads to an outbreak of salvations. Uh, it's just, that's New Testament. When the healing starts, salvations come. And you, you even see in um, Philip in Samaria, when he begins to preach, they begin to, to see miracles. Well, I like to put it like this. When he shares it, they see it. When he shares about a powerful God, people see a powerful God in action thereafter. So the, the church is really good nowadays at sharing about the gospel, but we don't see the power of God in action sometimes. And when people see it, uh, it does something in the room. And there was so much faith in that room uh, during that season. And during that year, uh, we saw over 6,000 people attend that 10 days of prayer. It was fully televised and over 100,000 people watched it over the course of that 10 days. And we just began to see uh, just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in, in terms of pastoral unity again. Um, we had a lot of reconciliation of pastors. We had a lot of just repentance of people. We had a lot of miracle signs. One is there was a couple nights where, where we, we were supposed to be mourning, but a spirit of joy broke out in the room. And, uh, and all I knew was that um, we were supposed to be mourning, but I think God was just like, all right, I'm done with the morning for now. And uh, we rejoiced in the Lord from 7 p.m. to almost, actually, excuse me, 9 p.m. to about midnight. For three straight hours, there was just dancing in the sanctuary. And I remember one of the pastors got on stage and we tried to fashion 10 days here in Bridgeport in a way where as many pastors can partake as possible, but it's not built around one personality. It's not built around Lewis. I try to talk as little as possible. It's not built around um, any one church. It's it's built around the, the, the conglomerate of churches who are involved. And I remember one pastor getting up on stage and he says, um, we have a very diverse crowd in the room from white folks to black folks to Asian folk. We have college kids, old people, young people, teens. And he said, every generation and every ethnicity has their own dance in their culture. And I want you to do your dance. And we had some people over here doing bachata, some people over here dancing, you know, salsa because they're Hispanic. We had some Indians doing their dance. We had, it was wild. And just a joy broke out in the room. And uh, it was just amazing to see the people of God rejoicing and dancing. And uh, that night ended, and it, it was crazy. About 1230, uh, the, the, the atmosphere just shifted. And we saw more breakthrough from that point on. One of the key things that happened that night was that the, the, there was a, a church father, name is Bishop J.C. White, uh, in the city who came in and he blessed what we were doing. And when he, as a church father in the area, blessed uh, what we were doing in the city, it just lent, for lack of a better term, just a sense of um, credibility 
in the eyes of many believers, okay, these guys, it's not just crazy, Lewis. It's, this is legitimate. And to that level of unity, right, it brought something. We were seeing five, 600 people a night. It just brought something where people came expecting to see God move. By the third year, I mean, we, we just began to see God do stuff that was just outrageous from radical provision to, again, radical salvations. Every year we were seeing the number of baptisms go up. 50, 60, 70 uh, people getting baptized every year and people coming into faith and leaders being able to just um, uh, see God move. The, the biggest thing we were seeing that we don't see a lot in churches nowadays, and it was, which is sad to me because it, it's one of the four pillars of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had four pillars to his ministry. It was preaching, teaching, healing, and then it was the casting out of, of, of spirits, right? And so Jesus, um, he, he, he casted out demonic spirits wherever he went. And so during 10 days, a lot of demonic activity, a lot of demonic activity. But by, by year three, uh, we, were, we were getting kind of wiser to that. And we were training people in just that area. And so uh, we were seeing a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have um, found a level of freedom, find freedom because we had people who were there ready to set the captives free, so to speak. Each and every year, we just had an outbreak of a different level of the ministry of Jesus, whether it was teaching, preaching, whether it was um, healing the sick or casting out demonic spirits, we were seeing a growth every year over year. One of the things I noticed, and I, I don't talk about this much, but one of the things I noticed, um, by the second year, we did round-the-clock worship. And it was so much easier to get worshipers together than it was to get pastors together. And the reason is because worshipers are, they weren't as... Um, skeptical, I guess you would say, about what the end result or the end desire of, uh, of the goal of 10 days was. They seemed to get it much faster. And what we saw later on in the fourth year, which is just this past year of 10 days, where we had, I would say, the least amount of committed pastors, but the pastors who were committed were all in, as opposed to having 200 pastors say, oh yeah, I'll show up at some point. We had 40 pastors that said, I'll be there every single day. I will be there. I will, I will rejoice with you. I will put my, my people to work in this. And so we're seeing a refining of who is really for this vision, but the crowds have not stopped growing. And the city looks forward to 10 days. I was walking my dog one day last uh, summer, and I get pulled up on by this car. I don't know who this person is. And they're like, hey, Pastor Lewis. And I'm like, I'm walking my dog, bro. Leave me alone. And they're just like, I can't wait for 10 days. And I'm like, oh, cool. Um, I guess I'll see you there. And they just drive off. And so there's such an expectancy in, in Bridgeport for um, what I would call just the, the, the event of 10 days. But it's become a marking time and season in our, in our lives here as a city because we've seen an outbreak of, of, of what I would call many revivals where people are being healed. Uh, the demonic are being set free. Uh, we're seeing churches love each other. Uh, one of the crazy testimonies is I have best friends that are pastors, which is a, an anomaly in many cities, right? Um, we're seeing uh, pastors pull together, and it's not just our movement. It's other 10-day, uh, excuse me, rather, unity movements happening across the city. And here's, here's the key factor. It's just because um, some guy and, and his group of friends said, yeah, God, we'll pray for 10 days. We'll, we'll pray that you move. We'll pray that you do what you have to do. And I would say that over these last few years, 
there's been just an openness to the gospel in Bridgeport. The churches, are, I know my church is still flourishing. It's still growing. And we're seeing God move in ways that we haven't otherwise seen before in the history of our city. And 10 days of prayer has been that catalyst. 10 days of prayer has been the catalyst, not only for citywide unity, but for pastors to, to get together, for pastors to love each other, and for God's will to be had in the city. And so my encouragement to anyone who says, hey, is this something that I should do? The, the encouragement is, heck yes. Um, I believe that, um, that it's God's desire in this season for entire cities to come to him. When you look at the New Testament, and you look at the churches, um, the churches were by city, they were not by pastors. And so there would be a church in Antioch, a church of, of this area and that area. And there was a, a unified body within that city. And of course they had their different factions and places, but God, he wants to deal with entire cities, not just individual ministries. And that, that's my heart. And I believe, I, I say that as a pastor of a ministry, that my belief right now is that God wants every house filled, every house on fire. And what he wants to do though is find, is there enough people in that city willing to host a revival? Are there enough people in that area willing to host the move of God? And when you're willing to open up a place, and when we do 10 days, let me tell you something, there is no agenda. We go in there, especially in our, our larger meetings at night, which last year, our largest meeting nearly hit a thousand people. And it's just like, we had at one point, last year, a quarter million people watching online uh, throughout the 10 days. We had over 10,000 people attend in some form or fashion in person. And it's not about the numbers. Don't get hyped on the numbers, but numbers tell a story. And so some people will say, well, it's not about the numbers. And oftentimes we say that because we haven't done the legwork to get people there. And so because nobody showed up, we satisfy ourselves with who is there. And that's great. Be happy with who is there. But when you get the word out, people will come because there's an openness in this season to the gospel. And so numbers tell a story. And the story it often tells is that people are hungry for a move of God. Last year, we had a healing moment during one of the evenings. And it was a Sunday evening during last year's 10 days. And a girl who had Tourette's was completely healed. Uh, and that just sparked something in the room. And that was one of the most powerful nights I have ever been a part of where we had about 70 people on the prayer line and people were being healed left and right. But we had an old lady who came in with a cane and left without needing her cane. We had just miracle after miracle, healing after healing, and not just emotional healing, but physical stuff. And that's a marker of a move of God and revival. I feel like in my city, I can't speak for anybody else, the temperature is rising for revival, uh, for, for all out revival. And, um, when this whole thing began to hit with COVID, I, I was telling Jonathan, hey, this is your vision, but just not in October. And so, and so seeing the cities come to a halt, seeing people being humbled and God saying, hey, no, I want nothing but what I want in this season. Uh, to me, I, I'm on the series in my church called Revival Is because I believe that revival is right here and now. I believe revival is what we're seeing right now. We're in that beginning um, phase of revival and um as you begin to see that and begin to know it, if you're not, as Jesus said to the people in Jerusalem, you missed your time of visitation. I don't want to miss my time of visitation. Um, I don't know when the fullness is coming, Jonathan. I don't know when that's coming, but I know it's coming. And because I know it's coming, I have to live in a place of preparation lest I be caught off guard from this move of God. But 10 days of prayer in Bridgeport has been a movement that I believe has, um, has positioned our city for prayer. 
and for a move of God. And uh, people far and wide are coming uh, to see what God is doing, to hear what God is doing. And um, I don't think that it's just because it's a Bridgeport thing. I think anybody, I repeat that, anybody willing to say for 10 days, I will give up everything. I will cancel every meeting in my church. I will do that. I will lay aside everything. I'm not going to say, oh, I have this and that going on. And during 10 days, I cancel everything. I have no meetings. I have no staff meetings. I've got nothing. I just sit in the sanctuary. I am with our team. And we're at 10 days. There is nothing else going on. And dozens of pastors are doing that in our city. And that is why when we laid down our agenda, our meetings, our, our this, our that, we have so many people taking vacation time for 10 days. And they turn everything over. Those are the moments when you fully surrender. And when you're willing to see God move, that it's, it's everything. God's not looking for a partial commitment. He's not looking for a part-time bride. He's looking for a full-time bride. And uh, when you do that, when you lay aside everything for 10 days, and I encourage you on this prayer call, maybe you're not a leader of a city or you're just going to be involved in a 10-day movement, but you're not hosting one, great. I, I challenge you, if you want to see the fullness of it, cancel everything for 10 days. And for some people, that's just crazy, unless it's Corona, right? Uh, but for Corona, we'll cancel everything, but not for 10 days. Not for Jesus, but for the virus, for sure. No, 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 no. Uh, that may sound crazy to some people. 10 days, if you would cancel everything, you will see God speak to you in ways you never dreamed possible. I had a pastor come to me last year who's been a part of it every year. She said to me, um, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner with every day being here. This has been one of the seasons where I've heard God the clearest and the most. And, and I said to her, I was like, I, I know, I've been trying to tell you this for years to anyone willing to listen. When you do this, God moves in a way that you would not think possible. And uh, we're seeing the fruit of that. I don't think we've seen the fullness of it in Bridgeport Frizz, but I know that God is about to outbreak in our nation. It's not just a Bridgeport thing. If he starts it here, praise God. I don't care where he starts it. I'm just like, Lord, start it because I want to catch the fire because I believe in this 120 upper room vision.